You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni from Yerushalayim, Irak Kodesh. Uh, you know, Sam, one of the, the advantages, I guess, that you had of moving from uh, New York to the Middle East, to Yerushalayim, was you aren't necessarily feeling the severe changes in temperature uh, that we in the Northeast are starting to feel and uh, throughout the, the northern part of the United States. I know Yerushalayim can sometimes get cold at night because they don't have a, a, a sufficient heating, but it, it rarely gets, uh, you know, becomes a winter wonderland there, right? Uh, what's the temperature there right now? Insulation there, but generally Eretz Yisrael is less of a, a place where you have to worry, unless you go up in the in the north, you have to worry about you know, cleaning your car off from snow and scraping and wearing boots and getting through. Uh, it, it's a place close enough to the equator and because of where it lies that it doesn't have the intense change of seasons that you left behind uh, here with us across the pond. Um, so whether it's going to be as frigid as has been as it was in our youth or whether global warming is shaving off a couple of degrees here or there we know that this is getting ready for winter um and this change sam um change is not only what you physically do i'm sure you are are aware and i'm sure you've dealt with the changes that occur in a person's mind when he when he has to hunker down when he doesn't interact as openly and as obviously uh, as he does in the summer, uh, and of course, there's a there's a reverse sort of uh, phenomena that happens uh, in the summers, especially you know. Let's remember the summers that we were raised in. Uh, you know, both of us, uh, air conditioning when we were growing up was a luxury. Um, I remember us all uh, gathered in one room that we that my father bought an air conditioning for, and we it was in the living room, and we all in the sweltering Memphis heat, we all like put put our faces in front of it, you know, feeling that cool air. But the rest of the house, uh, we walked with 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 sweat beads running down us. Um, that was also different. You know the idea of 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 being sovel in the in the heat. Talk about from your perspective what that does to a person on his in his mind. This this intense change. Idea of exposure to light or to darkness. Then there's the idea of exposure to extreme temperatures, and then there's a corollary from those, which really means that these are just essentially um, stimuli which make you be more with people or less with people. So those are three factors that, that are relevant here from, from at least from my expertise base of knowledge. So that's the light. So let, let's talk about them sequentially. Um, light is very much related to um, um, mood disorders. In other words, that's not to say that it will cause problems in people who are not predisposed to affective disorders, although it will definitely uh, modify the mood somebody is in, but not in, in terms of my getting involved, not in terms of a clinical um, um, uh, criterion, but 
um, to talk about people who have a disposition towards depression. There's no question that the the lack of exposure to um, uh, white light, not not just a light, not a yellow light, but a white light in particular, does affect um, the uh, degree of, of of depression that you might have. So that's that's an important factor and something people don't understand and don't realize. There are sub-problems like circadian rhythms are affected, but again, that's called normal. I'm talking more from the clinical perspective. Um, and that's something that we often see that in the winter, in the days when um, then there isn't as much sunlight, you get many more admissions of depressed patients to um, psychiatric facilities. So that's a, something just to, to know. I mean, the physiology of it, I am not a big expert on. It probably has to do with circadian rhythms, but that's not sufficient. So there's something else going on. So that, that's one particular factor that we can talk about. The other, the other feature we can talk about here is temperature extremes. And that is that, um, I guess, God set up this world so it should be more or less within our comfort zone. Um, of course, there are areas that you just stay away from. You don't live in the bottom of the ocean. You don't live on the top of the big mountain. But within the general uh, globe, there are variations within what's considered tolerable. Uh, if you just subtract the... Uh, the future uh, prospects of global warming or some kind of, you know, catastrophe that happens. But the extremes of temperature sometimes push the limit there and people start feeling vulnerable. And when you feel vulnerable, that also can be a catalyst for people who are disposed towards psychological disturbances for those disturbances to come to the fore. So you can think specifically, let's say, people who are freezing. When you're freezing, even if you're not freezing in the house, but if you're just freezing outside, you feel there's just an alien environment around you. And you can see how that can feed into paranoid tendencies, which you might, if you happen to be disposed to that. Or if it's extremely hot, that's the same kind of thing. Extremely hot, extremely uncomfortable. Um, you have to basically spend a lot of your psychic energy fighting off, especially if you're outside during intense heat or intense cold, Part of your whole orientation is I got to deal with this uh, danger, quote unquote, but you feel besieged upon. And if somebody comes and nags you just a little bit, or if you have a minor irritation with someone, you're going to have some catastrophes. And we know that, let's say, in, in extremely hot weather, the uh, amount of killings that go on. Or, or murders. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say, it's, it doesn't have to be premeditated, but people just react spontaneously in violent fashion. More so interesting in hot and in cold. And my guess is because people brave the heat more than they brave the cold, so they're less irritated by their surroundings. And then there's the subset that I talked that I mentioned, which has to do the amount of time you spend with other people. You tend to isolate, and many times the what we spend with people involves getting out into the elements. Either you spend time with people outside or you have to brave the outside to go somewhere else to spend time with people. And spending time with people, other than performing a, a basic function, a requirement, I mean, social interaction is not something that's just pragmatic. It's something that we require for our mental health. But um, it also... Um, is a major distractor 
In other words, when we are left alone with our thoughts and our conscience and our guilt, that is a great tipping point for people who have problems um, dealing with an equilibrium or they have no equilibrium. Perhaps they're constantly guilty. Perhaps they're constantly angry. Perhaps they're constantly jealous. Perhaps they constantly feel deprived. But when you're busy and you're outside and interacting with others, many of those thoughts, brooding thoughts, can go to the background because you're busy and occupied. When, of course, you are faced by them, when you don't have the others to distract you, so to speak, you come face to face with quite a few um, possible threats and they can tip you over the edge. Um, I, I think an analogy to the latter is retirement. We find that when people retire, um, to put it simply, they tend to die. <laughs> they physically die. And even those who don't die, they fall apart psychologically. There's the same people, same age, same physical build or whatever, you compare retired versus not retired, or even people themselves within the year after retirement, they come for psychiatric help in droves. And that is simply just a, on a practical level. They are not distracted. When you're at work, you have to punch the clock, not punch the clock. You have to drive the bus, do the laundry, whatever you have to do. Here, all of a sudden, you're not doing it. You get, you get disturbed. So those are three different issues that I think is my way of reacting to let me unpack it backwards let's start with the last thing that you said you talked about retirement and of course uh or people who are uh in in a state we would call in the old days cabin fever where you're not able to get out as much COVID, of course was uh, a wonderful example maybe a horrible example but a wonderful example of the same phenomena where you know for at least until the vaccines became available uh people were you know, hunker down inside. And I think that uh, the uptick in many of the psychological issues that I think you mentioned, we saw on display during COVID. Um, the, we, we talked on this program about the increase in, in, in uh, suicides. We talked about the, the, the marriages that, uh, that, got, that spoiled. And as you're saying, if you already are in a certain uh, sensitive place where you're not exactly completely psychologically whole or, or healthy, uh, going into COVID uh, did sort of a similar thing, right? I mean, there was no, uh, I think everything that you said, we saw on display just recently. So sure. it really, it I would just, I would just add the, the caveat that even in terms of just perceived threat, that had that feature too. Just if you can be threatened by the extremes of weather, you certainly can be threatened if you're paranoid by this looming danger that's there. So combine that with the idea that you need to have some kind of social um, um, trappings to keep your inner demons at bay. You have your inner demons, you have the outside threat. It's a great formula. I mean, great. It's, 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 it's a very positive formula to, to get deranged. And we had many people who did. Who do, I should say. I, you know, I would also ask you, there, there's probably, you know, obviously this is a wide spectrum, uh, but there are certain people who, who have a, um, uh, an intense nervousness of being involved with people. There's people who, um, because of its anxiety issues, they imagine, you know, even when they go on a bus, they have heart palpitations. There's people around them. There's, there's you know, thoughts that they have when they see an, an errant look that someone gives them. 
for those people, I guess, hunkering down and being by themselves might actually, there's a certain part of the population that's probably less prone to uh, to psychotic situations because right, right. for some people staying staying away from others is very adaptive it's not it doesn't mean that their mental health is better off it's just it's adaptive against having a breakdown but for them extreme weather doesn't matter because they will try to avoid others at any rate Sure, sure. You might say they're not forced to go because they said, okay, it's today's a snow day, so you don't have to come into work or you don't have to go to school. So perhaps it's practical that way. Yeah. Yeah. And there are many, you know, people who are so extremely introverted that they probably they were the ones that that gloried in COVID in a way and were very happy about that. And they were the one they might not get any more disturbed. Yes, no, yes. COVID did not mark any problem for them. Sure. Right, right. And for them, going into this, uh, this, this uh, hermetically sealed state sure. was something that was that might have been positive. You know, you, you, the second thing, you know, you talked about the idea of you know the, the intense weather uh, affects you because your body is reacting to that. Um, your body is reacting to staving that off, and therefore it's siphoning some of your. Uh, I, I guess of, of your good defensive, common... call it defensive energy, defensive capacity. Right. You don't have the capacity to defend against the, the standard threats that you have because you have this overlooming threat that's there. Right. That so gives you less, it gives you le- less ammunition to deal with other kinds of um, uh, destabilizing factors. Yeah, and I think you probably can't deny, Sam, the difference between let's let's say you know. Uh, you know, uh, humid New York summers or New York or Tennessee summers that I had and the frigid winters that I that went through in, in Illinois and other places. There's something about uh, the vulnerability of that of the summer, you know, because remember, you know, you, you you're taking items of clothing off. Uh, you're walking around, of course, sneeze issues put aside you know you're in a way is that also part of why you might feel so vulnerable you know you you wear the clothing that you wear although it's a pain in the neck sometimes to to put on the sweater and then the coat and then the down coat over that and the muffler and the and the gloves but in a way you sort of you know as you're breathing and walking like a robot sometimes down the street in some ways though that clothing is comforting uh whereas when you're in the in, in the summer, there's there's a sense of being exposed. There's a sense of uh, even if your if, if your issues with your body are are healthy and you don't mind that, but you sort of it, it, does that. Do you ever see that type of phenomena where where you, you talked about the uptick of of violence uh, in, in the summer? There is something that that's around primarily with young women and with gay men. That comes up a lot, which has to do with the fact that their bodies are more on display. It's very, I mean, you know, they're just medically dieting, dieting in time for the summer to be able to get into certain kind of swimwear is a major uh, industry in the right. United States. So, I mean, that's there. I mean, other than that, to say that clothing feels like you're protected and you're kind of um, disguised and not out there, 
I can't say that I see that as a pattern, at least in terms of people who come in with seasonal, this thing is called, I'm sorry, seasonal affective disorders. That's the, that's the official name. So I've not seen it connected with clothes as such. The clothes stuff is, uh, is anxiety that comes up with people who just feel exposed at certain kinds, like marriage, et cetera. They tend to crack up at those times. And so no, I, I can't say that I've had much experience, um, at least personal, personally, uh, professionally, with folks feeling exposed or, or more protected. I've not seen that. What you're saying makes sense psychodynamically, but I've not seen that out there. Mm-hmm. And, I, can, and, I can fantasize about it, but I've not seen it. Right. And, and, and when you hear from, you know, anecdotally from policemen and others that when the temperature rises, um, tempers start flaring um, because mm-hmm. uh, there's, a, there's an idea that uh, it, it's so hot and uh, I'm frustrated anyway. So the fact sure. that you bump, the fact that you bump into me, is is, is considered aggressive, <laughs> where it wouldn't be if I wouldn't be, as you say, dealing with this this sure. type of intense mm-hmm. heat. I, I'm wondering if you know we could probably go and do a diagnostic study and and see that with uh, the introduction of air conditioning uh, on a greater level in some of these. Uh, uh, did that reduce, you know, uh, some of the crime, reduce some of the aberrant behavior? You, you, it, that would be a good way to test that theory, wouldn't it? To be well, able well, to. Well, unfortunately, the, the crime statistics are, are driven by the uh, people who are, are like economically disadvantaged. So we've not really gotten to the point that people who are economically disadvantaged or people who are very poor really have the luxury of air conditioning. Even in Texas, you know, quite a few people work in the intense heat and many of them don't really escape totally when they get back to their own homes. It's limited. I mean, you described your childhood for, you know, that is the um, economic equivalent of where many people live now. So, um, and also most crimes that you talk about in those days, in those kinds of contexts happen outside in the elements. It's not like in the house, you're more irritated, the less irritated. It's more like um, interactions with other people, maybe even strangers that you just bump into somebody, somebody looks at you or looks funny or whatever. So I don't think that we have the good um, laboratory, you know, the, the natural laboratory for that yet. Maybe from the adult environment where they totally get rid of the variances in weather, you will see it. But there's no question that there's an uptake in extreme weather, mostly heat. I shouldn't say extreme weather. The data is mostly the heat. In, most, in heat situations, people tend to become more irritated and commit more crimes, more yeah. interpersonal crimes. Let's go to the first thing that you talked about, which is the difference between natural light and um, artificial light and the less mm-hmm. natural light. Um, you know, this is something that really, uh, you know, harkens back, uh, especially from where I'm coming from. There's so many sources uh, that we have about, uh, you know, the, the the significance of the winter solstice um, and why it was considered, you know, a holiday. Uh, you know, we're coming to Christmas right now. And, you know, many have uh, pointed to all the pagan, the Saturnalia and other things that surrounded that period. And as you know, the basic idea was that around December 21st, December 22nd, we have the shortest uh, uh, day of the year. And then the, the night starts to recede at a very creeping level. But eventually we have 
um, you know, it, we're, we're turning it towards June, where we will finally, in the, at the end of June, have our day with the longest amount of light and sunlight. <laughs> so there was this idea that things are changing. Uh, the, the long night isn't as long as it was. And that was a cause of celebration in the pagan mind that we weren't going to be closed in by darkness. Now, obviously, Sam, <coughs> with the introduction of, natu- of, of artificial light, um, although, as you said, it might not actually give all the benefits of natural sunlight, but you know, there, there, there is something there to, you know, the fluorescence and things that we live in consistently. Um, I'll just add one other little Talmudic nugget. Uh, I know that you've been doing the Dafyomi, and you might remember um, one of the statements of why the 15th of Av is a big holiday. Um, and, and the Talmud layers it not only with the romantic aspect, but the Talmud also mentions that, all right, now, even though we're we're starting the descent into longer nights, use those longer nights properly for study, for learning. Uh, those longer nights where you're going to be not in the field as much, you're going to be home. Get those candles out, and if you don't, you know, take advantage of it. I guess my point is is that we, in a way, look at these winter nights. Uh, in a pagan way, oh, let's just wait for the summer to happen when there's going to be more light. But from my perspective, it's great. The winter's man, right? The winter's man, you're going to be actually learning stronger. You're actually going to be studying more. You can learn by your, by your, by your lamp, by your kerosene lamp, by your, by your uh, fluorescent light lamp. What do you believe? Do, do, do you think this is, and I'm sure you yourself uh, probably studied quite a bit in these winter nights using this, un, not the natural sunlight, and yet you probably could put in a lot of productive hours there. Now, this is something, you know, that in the Talmud's time, Sam, was, 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 was applauded because how unique it was, because you had to go out and spend the money to get the oil. Today, with everything that's so available, you really believe there's a for the average person there's going to be a difference between you know spending that time under the uh, under that fluorescent lamp um you know you you talked about the the, the rhythms within you and yet we from my perspective this is this is where we live this is what we relish we relish these 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 nights where we could you know really you know, uh, spend it under these the, these these lamps um, do, do you think that there is a, 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 a negative effect to that? First of all, on a personal level, there's no question that for myself, I mean, during my, let's say, really creative um, spurts that I have, that long winter nights are great because there are fewer distractions. Because even though it can be 6 p.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m., when it gets very dark and cold, people tend to do less things on the outside, which leaves me more time for myself and to be able to spend several hours on blocks without being disturbed by anyone. So that, on the practical level, yes, I can relate to that. But I just want to relate some shall we say, um, common, what you might consider childish um, reactions, which stay with us forever. And that is the following. It's the truism. Nights are dangerous. 
the robbers are out there, the marauders are out there. If you're into werewolves and you're into ghosts, you can get into that too. But children are into that. So night is dangerous. You look in the in in the um in the fables that we tell stories, the kids, some of us tell the kids that you know about night. Night is danger. Light is not, and that stays with you, that primitive notion of danger. And I think practically speaking, we can understand it in like in in, in pre-urban society, the robbers, the, the animals, and Talmudic, I see references, the animals go out at night, you got to watch yourself. And, and so it's it's primitive, it's unknown, and then it evokes all these super supernatural or unnatural phenomenon. So that is a time to be scared. And um, I can see what you talk about, like those Talmudic citations about taking advantage of that time. We, we, we in the business would call it counterphobic behavior. In other words, you have an anxiety there and you have to combat that. So you come up with something that allows you to delude yourself that, oh no, not only is this not a threat, but it's a boom. It's something that makes me so productive and I'm grateful for it. Grateful, my foot. You know, you're scared, you're upset. Maybe you can say that you're making the best of a bad situation, but it's. I would much rather that it be light 24 hours a day and that there be no ghosts and no goblins and no threats or whatever. And I think most of, if you think back to the kind of um, semi-dangerous uh, uh, um, uh, um, mindset of Christmas, it's, hey, I, I can sing those songs to you, but primarily... It's frightful outside and it's hailing and whatever. And I'm in here so close to the fire with my loved ones. There's a counterphobic uh, message to all of that. So I wouldn't put it in such rosy, um, uh, shall we say, um, a rosy picture saying, this is what I really like. This is what I'm going to make do with. But you just give me a chance. Give me some spring or summer and I'll gladly dump the fireplace and dump everything else and go out and play with dandelions. I mean, that, that's my psychological reaction to what I hear from you. Yeah, despite, again, you know, the, I, I agree the statements are there to guide and to give support, but I actually believe when you make a statement in the Talmud that the whole reason, the reason why we have these nights is in order to actually use it for this uh, diligent review and study uh, and, and going over things. Um, so it, it, it seems like uh, the, our world, uh, the Talmudic world, has for years, whether it's counterphobic or not, has basically applauded this period. And uh, there are even some that say one of the topics we didn't even talk about when we talked about Hanukkah, um, was that that was one of the reasons why the Hanukkah Gelt was given out because it was going to now be in a, in a more intense period for the students to be studying because of the uh, you know the longer nights that they would be faced with, uh, despite the fact that nights were getting shorter, but it was still going to be long enough and the monies that were going to be given out were considered prizes for more involvement and in learning during during this 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 winter long period you know of that, of that uh, so i think we've managed that, that i think there's another thing here which you know as a redhead and a light complexion one is that i'm sort of scared of getting out uh during the daytime in the summer um i think we've been you know you talk about boogeymen um 
my boogeyman is is skin cancer you know the going out there you know again you want to wear you know you want to wear your hat and 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 protection i sort of feel yeah you know not only is it hot and sweaty but the the sunlight itself uh we've we've come to see it as somewhat of a danger uh you know there's this one thing the vitamin c of the sun like when i was growing up you know go out in the sunlight it's going to be healthy for you and and i used to see it by the way uh sam with my friends from yeshiva in florida they were always so much healthier uh than the northeasterners and the midwesterners they played basketball the whole year round they they had a a a, a life spirit and energies and, and sports and activities that i didn't see but I think now, you know, as, as we talk about the ozone layer being depleted, uh, I think there's sort of like a, a, a way to say, yeah, I'm happy that I'm not getting that, you know, the, the sun and those those UV rays. Who knows what they're doing prematurely aging us and, you know, if causing those melanomas. You, if I can give you a, par- a, a, a parallel, I guess a parallel equivalent to your, um, your fear of cancer is something that's common enough in tropical areas, and that's fear of dehydration. I mean, it's, 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 it actually is at the phobic level for people who have had it. You know, they actually dread the summer because they're afraid of getting dehydrated. And they have this compulsive drinking of water, which is, is sometimes almost bizarre the way they keep on going. But they live with this constant dread. And that, that is seasonal, but the other way around. They basically, their anxiety levels, when it starts getting hot outside, rises precipitously. There's no question about it. It's not the cancer. It's the, um, it's the dehydration. Sure. Okay. I also thought of a, a gauche um, um, equivalent to when you were, had the Talmudic formula that at nighttime is created only for learning. And I was thinking about the, the um, nice spike in, in pregnancies following blackouts. Okay. It's blackout. It's cold. It's dark. What else can you do? but consort in a way that makes you feel more secure and less scared of the elements. Yes. So so it might be a time, you know, for romance to, uh, to foster. It's interesting. Again, when we speak about Valentine's day, of course it occurs uh, in in, in the coldest month of the year, right? February, I think is. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm saying it is, it it is, it is definitely, uh, you know, the coldest month. So you're right. That, it fits in, uh, especially you know as we we approach Purim. It's sort of been a couple months. Uh, that's what they the, the, the Talmud says. That's part of the reason why uh, Esther was chosen, and at that time of the year at Tavis during that month, and and that's sort of the reason, according to the Medrash, that uh, you know there was a, an attempt on Chashverosh's <clears throat> life because of the amount of time he was spending with his new wife Esther. Uh, during that period, so you know, we can't deny uh, you know that that aspect, um, and uh, maybe that's maybe in some ways that's why the 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 finger of the Talmud was saying you just study, <laughs> you know, yep. you just study, young fellow. <laughs> Put those creative juices in a place that will expand uh, the Talmud rather than uh, expanding your wife's belly. Sam, let's end here with the very first things I was mentioning to you at the beginning of the episode, which is, of course, you're moving uh, from uh, where you live to a different climate. Israel, despite some of the places that might be extreme, generally with with, with the, the real population belt, doesn't experience those uh, shifts that we had that 
I, I lived through and you lived through. But do you believe, you know, with so many people moving to more temperate zones, uh, some of the population moving to uh, places where they don't experience the cold, the extreme cold, uh, California, which has its own issues, but of course was a place for 30 or 40 years was accepting people from all over the United States because of its temperate climate, because of the, uh, the, the average temperature there. Would, based on what you're telling us today, shouldn't we see a, um, a, a commensurate decline in some of these issues of what extreme temperatures bring? And would you also say that, you know, for obviously for economic reasons, people needed to be near the heart of the Great Lakes or where the, the you know, whether it was New York City and the ports or, or Chicago, but for, from a mental health perspective, does it make more sense to live in a place where you don't have to deal with those extremes? So you're raising an, an interesting conceptual issue here, and that is when you find group behavior um, changing in a certain direction, which is adaptive, but is really not within the conscious uh, uh, domain of the actors. And now it's people who move to California or to Florida, or let's say I moved to Israel. So consciously, the idea wasn't really sunlight, depression, less threat from major elements psychologically, or maybe practically, I don't like my, like one of the major reasons we mo- moved here is because my wife slipped on, on the ice and had like, had to have really um, invasive surgery. And she said, I don't want to go through this again. And I have um, actually uh, family members who moved like from upstate New York to Las Vegas saying, I've had it with snow, I've had it with ice. But to say, so, so what you find over here, basically, I mean, this is Darwinian talk you find that the population changes its behavior in a way that makes it more adaptive without them really knowing what they're doing. So most people are not thinking of uh, seasonal affective disorders when they move to these climates, but it is adaptive that way. So I don't know if I believe in that. You know, evolutionary changes, even if you believe in them, occur uh, through millennia, not through a lifetime. It's not like you get burnt and say, I'm going to move somewhere else where it's more adaptive. I also wanted to mention one other Well, you know, Sam, you know, again, Darwin's rules have... More or less what I'm going to wear for the next five months. So that itself also gives you more of a stable comfort level saying, okay, I, I don't have to keep looking behind my back and through the side to see what might hit me. So from a shall we say, a primitive perspective, I feel safer. I feel less at the mercy of vagaries that are random and just tend to kind of blindside me. No, I'm okay. I'm gonna, I can make an appointment now for four weeks from now and I don't, I, I don't have to find galoshes or, or boots or a rain hat. Or if I have that, I can keep the rain hat for three months. So that's just a caveat that I want right, to So, so the, studies, the studies should probably be out there already indicating that there's less... Uh, mental health issues in this regard. Uh, no, no, uh, yeah, just, affect, well. just affective disorders. Don't say mental health issues. Mental health issues, Baruch Hashem, there are plenty here. Uh-huh. Okay, but, because there are so many other issues going okay, on. Right, but but those disorders that you delineated in the beginning of our program, we should see in these yes. areas, it should be corroborated by the, the that in these areas, there's a there's much less 
of that happening. I don't know those um, cross comparative studies. I can just tell you in my practice, I can tell you that the, the presenting problems are different here. They usually aren't the kind of stuff, let's say, we would call it like a, essentially chronic, non-stimulus-based depression. You get less of that here. You get less of that here. So, so in that way, you know, if you're able to, that might be another, <laughs> another uh, way that the Hasbara of getting people to move to Israel, <laughs> they can maybe talk about, look, you know, obviously you need, to, you, you need space and, and you, need, <laughs> you need comfort. But, you know, the, uh, the, the weather, uh, you know, is definitely not frightful. And we know that the company is always, always delightful. Um, we'll catch you again next time, Sam. Uh, I'm not going to tell you to bundle up, but, um, you know, <laughs> watch out. Be well. Take care, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 